I remember a few months ago, if you have your Bibles, just get those ready, and uh, you can turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11. I can remember a few months ago, uh, I was, it was on a Saturday evening, and it was, uh, it was that time of the year where I wasn't really sure what to do about the heat or the cooling, whether to have heat on, air conditioning on here at the church, or have nothing at all. There is that time of the year, it's coming. Uh, believe it or not, it will come. Uh, and I told my wife, I said, I'm just going to run, a, run to the church, see how things are, and switch it to whatever needs to be switched to. And uh, as, you know, I, I must confess, I have a weakness. And my weakness is uh, I like cakey things, you know, just cakey stuff. And there's this one store that sells scones. I don't know if you're all familiar with scones. I don't know if it harkens back to, you know, back in the 1700s when ancestors came over from England and Wales. And, you know, they come from the part of the world where, you know, scones are kind of common in England, are they not? And, and I like scones. I enjoy them. They're a little dry, but, you know, you put some blueberries in them. You put chocolate chunks in them. And, and I, I, that's, I get down with that. I like that. And so, you know, of course, I told my wife I was headed to the church, but I took the long way to get to the church and stopped off at the store, got the scone, and I'm on my way to the church. I'm headed down Peterson and, and on my way here, and, and all of a sudden, I, I take a bite, and I'm like, man, you know, scones are dry, a little crunchy on the outside, but there's something I can't chew. In this, And I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking, why in the world would this place, you know, they, they got to have better quality control in their baking of these scones because there is something hard that cannot be chewed in this scone. And so all of a sudden, I'm, you know, I, I get that whatever that little hard piece of something was and I pull it out of my mouth and I look at it and I think, man, that looks like part of a tooth. Part of a tooth, and I really am getting upset at their lack of quality control in the bake shop. And all of a sudden, I feel around in my mouth with my tongue and realize that that tooth, part of that tooth, belonged to me. <laughs> and so I, I quickly let that bake shop off the hook. And I, you know, I'm feeling around, and I had no pain. I didn't feel it. I didn't feel it come loose. But all of a sudden, I realized that part of my, one of my molars had come off, literally. And it was the, the part that's, you know, that's kind of the, the peak, the, the part that's got to, you know, really the, the higher part of one of the molars. And so now there's this low part, and it's not supposed to be low, and there's like this little pit. I don't feel any pain, no pain whatsoever. I remember going to the dentist after a while. I thought, well, maybe I can get by with this, but it just was too annoying. It didn't hurt, but it was just annoying. So made a quick trip to the dentist, and the dentist pulled out the drill, and I thought, where's the Novocaine? And he said, nah, you're not going to need it. It's not going to go down that far, not going to get into the nerve. We'll do something temporary today, and then you come back in a couple of weeks, and we'll do something a little more permanent. I said, fine. And sure enough, he drilled away without any Novocaine. I felt nothing. No pain whatsoever. 
But all of a sudden, I begin to realize that that tooth that had broken away, it was, didn't happen overnight. What the erosion and the decay that had occurred did not come on a one-time kind of thing. Now, you know, this, this bake shop, I'm not going to mention their name because I, you know, anyway, I don't get paid for that advertising, so i got to lay off giving you names. But you want to know, I'll tell you later. But, you know, I, I, it wasn't that hard. It wasn't too bad. But I, I thought to myself, it wasn't their fault that, that the tooth had broken off. And I began to think about the years as a kid. All the things that I had to have, I allowed myself. We lived literally within, I would say, less than a tenth of a mile of a little general store in the little town where I grew up. And I would go there day after day after school. Whatever my allowance was, you know, I kept getting an allowance and I'd go straight to that store. And I'd sit there and I'd drink Pepsi and I would eat pastries and I would eat candy and it would all go there and then at night my mother would tell me to brush my teeth and I'd say "Uh uh-huh and I'd go into my room without actually going to brush my teeth and a lot of trips to the dentist as a kid yielded itself or lent itself to an erosion a decay of my tooth to the point where now at 40 something years old my tooth breaks off just breaks off you see, decay happens over a period of time. Today I want to talk to you about the elements of spiritual decay. You said, Pastor, you might be preaching to the choir a little bit. Well, not necessarily because if there is anything that we learn from Scripture, it's that spiritual decay can begin to occur in individuals' lives who are the most well-meaning, who love God with all their hearts, But somewhere along the way, some things begin to happen that brings this kind of spiritual decay. And today, I want to challenge your hearts and somehow hopefully encourage you today that this kind of spiritual decay does not have to happen to you. It doesn't have to happen in your life. You don't have to allow it and in the end, it's many cases, it is simply, we have nobody else to blame but us. That when there is a spiritual decay or an erosion that begins to take place in our lives, you can't point your finger. I know a lot of people, they try to point their finger at the church. And say, it's their fault. It's their fault that we don't have this or we don't have that. Look, if you want something, you got to pray. you got to pray for more people. You're going to pray for more workers. You're going to pray for more that, that, that we might be able to grow, not only in numbers, but spiritually as well, that we might have the spiritual know-how and the creativity to be able to implement things that will bring people into the kingdom. You want more of something, we've got to pray more. But people blame it on the church. Some pastor, he said something, and it bothered me. There have been people in the past in this local assembly, at least not now, but in the past, who when the preaching has been done, they come up and they'll say, why did you talk about that? You know I'm going through that. No idea. We didn't know you were going through this. But why did you do that? And they get upset and they get bent out of shape. 
Brothers and sisters, if God's got something to say to you, you better open your ears, open your heart, and let the Lord come and minister to you. Otherwise, there's going to be a spiritual decay that will begin to occur in your heart and your life. Today, if I can spare you by helping you to identify whether or not it might be taking place in your own heart or hopefully to help you and to keep you from allowing it to take place, then I will consider this message a success. And only time will tell whether it is or not. But one of the great tragedies at the beginning of this process of spiritual decay is when you begin to think that you can allow yourself spiritual candy. Spiritual candy. This is the first step in the process. You begin to allow yourself spiritual candy. I, I, you know, as a kid, I didn't think anything of those one liter bottles of Pepsi on a daily basis that I was downing after, after coming home from school. I didn't think anything about all the candy that I was, you know, shoving into my mouth and chewing so vigorously thinking I'm getting the best thing in the world. But now years later as I look at the countless fillings, and thank God there hasn't been a root canal yet, but I look at the countless fillings in my mouth, and I have seen the effects of the erosion of teeth and what can occur. I, am, I, am, I regret all the times where I ignored my mother's commission to wash or, or to, to brush my teeth at night. I regret not doing a better job at that. But you see, I thought, well, let me just allow myself this, this candy and it'll be all right. Everything will be fine. And, and nothing is going to happen. You see, there are people who allow themselves spiritual candy. What do I mean by that? I mean something that you allow into your life that should not be a part of your life as a Christian. But it tastes good. It feels good. It seems good. It seems okay, especially when you look around and you try to get approval from the rest of the world. When you get approval from the world rather than God, then you probably, more than likely, are going for spiritual candy. You're going for something that is against God and against your own heart and growth in Him. It's against you being able to grow in Him. And how does it all happen? Usually it happens because there is a lack of discernment in your life. You want to feed the flesh rather than feeding the Spirit. And so you make choices based upon what you feel, based upon what you want, rather than upon what God wants you to have and what God wants you to do. And brothers and sisters, I need you to know today that so often in Scripture, when we begin to read about individuals, we read about people who allowed themselves spiritual candy, the end is always the same. We'll get to that in a bit. One of the great examples of this is Samson. And we're not going to take the time to read about Samson's life. Samson goes from the highest of heights. He is the only one, only one of the only judges that we read about who brought deliverance for the people of Israel who did it literally single-handedly. He didn't have to have an army. He didn't have to have a group of men following him. He didn't have to have this this band of militia that would follow him and, and, and rescue the people. Samson did it all by himself with the help of the Lord, of course. But there was a problem with Samson. There was a problem. See, he allowed himself some spiritual candy. 
He allowed himself to go in the direction of saying, I'm going to feed my flesh every now and then. You know, it's tough being in the ministry. It's tough winning these kinds of battles and going through this all, all this kinds of stuff. And listen, we see it all throughout in our history. We've seen it in America over the last 10 20, 15 years, we've seen so many men and women of God come crumbling down and falling simply because they allowed themselves the spiritual candy. They couldn't say no. They had to say yes. They had to feed the flesh. And then they stand in the congregation and they weep and they cry or they deny or they do all kinds of things. And everybody says, oh, poor them. Poor, poor nothing. You chose it. You had a lack of discernment. The Bible lets you know what you are supposed to do, how you are supposed to live, what kind of choices you're supposed to make. Not the rest of the world and certainly not your flesh. Don't go for the candy because it's going to ruin you. Samson was one of those individuals. He went for the candy. And in the end, it was the candy that turned around and shaved his head and sent him away. Brothers and sisters, if I can somehow spare you from allowing yourself that which the world says, no big deal, just do it. Go ahead. You know, we're, st we're still operating. We, you know, we don't have the long hair and the, the, you know, the bell-bottom jeans of the 60s and the 70s, but we're still operating under that philosophy. If it feels good, do it. Who really cares? We're operating under that and we're living under that and the world is doing its best. The enemy is doing his best to get it into the church. Let the church be like that because if the church can be like that, then guess what? The church is powerless to be able to affect any kind of change in the world. And listen, brothers and sisters, when I looked around in Washington, D.C., the only thing I began to think to myself is, oh God, we've got to pray more now than ever before. There is a lack, not only of discernment, but a lack of discipline. If you're in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we're going to read about the lack of discipline. You find excuses for not giving yourself fully to the service of the Lord. There are so many people who could offer so much to the kingdom, and yet there are so, there are so many attractions and distractions of the world that all of a sudden you say, you know, I, I can't because I want to be involved in this. I want to be involved in that. I want to do this. And there are all these distractions. You don't, you, you just find, somehow find an excuse for not completely giving yourself to serving God with everything that is within you. Look, being here on Sunday morning, it's easy to serve God in here. I'm not talking about in church. This is the easiest place in the world to serve Jesus, even if you're having a bad day. Even if you feel like you walked in and you're a little down and you're a little depressed. Church is the easiest place to serve God. It's out there that really matters. It's out there that really counts. It's in the world where you live, where you go to work. The people that you see every day, the people who, who, you, who know you, who are your friends. Who, that's where it counts. That you don't make excuses for serving Jesus. Somebody once did that. And the Bible lets us know that this man was a man after God's own heart. And yet somewhere along the way, he found an excuse not to do what it was that he as the king was supposed to do. Let's read it. 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 1. The Bible says, in the spring, at the time, notice this, 
when kings go off to war, now David is a king, David sent Joab out with who? The king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites, besieged Reba. But David, who? The king remained in Jerusalem. Now, the Bible says here that it was a time when kings went to war. It was a time where David should have been leading the king's men. Instead, he sends his general, his best friend, one of his best friends, at least through the years, a man who had been most loyal to him, even at, while he was running from Saul, Joab. He sends Joab, said, Joab, take, take the king's men out, and we're going to go, and we're going to fight. And the Bible says they had a great victory. Now, the fighting was still going on, but David is back at home. I didn't feel like going out to war. You know, I'm getting a little older. I'm getting a little more tired. You know, I feel like I just got to sit down. I got to relax. You know, I can't give myself to praise like I used to. You know, I can't give myself to prayer the way that I used to. You know, it's a little tiring. It's hard. Hard when you come in on Sunday morning feeling a little under the weather, a little tired and a little weary, and it's just a little difficult to do that. I've got to, you know, I've got to relax a little bit, Lord. You understand where I am at. You know what's going on in my heart. But the Bible lets us know he stayed home when he should have been gone somewhere else. He stayed at home making excuses for himself. I didn't have it in my notes, but let's look at it. Verse 2. One evening, while David was still at home, right? He's still there. David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. We're going to stop reading right there. If David had been where he was supposed to be, if he had not made excuses, he would not have put himself in a situation where a lack of discipline would cause him to not only lust after Bathsheba, but then go through everything that we read about in chapter 11, and then we have this, this incredible confrontation with the prophet Nathan in chapter 12. We read about all of these things taking place. We would never have had that had David been disciplined as a king to do what he was supposed to do. Many times in our lives, we think somehow we can put off the word of God. We can put off reading the scripture. We can put off praying. And yet it might be on that particular day where you will put yourself in a situation where all of a sudden you're not armed and equipped anymore with the thing that will help you to defeat whatever the enemy throws in front of you in temptation. You see, that was temptation when he got up, up out of bed. Here's what he should have done. Whoa, back to bed. Get me out of here. But instead, David just stands there and watches. And then we know the rest of the story. He commits adultery with Bathsheba. She now has there, there is a pregnancy that occurs out of it. And so to cover up the pregnancy, David says, have her husband killed? No, I'll bring her husband home. Let's bring her husband home. He'll go sleep with her. It'll be like it's his. 
you, the thought process that's happening. You see the spiritual candy allowed himself. And now as a result, when things are getting ugly, things are going down the drain, all of a sudden David's doing something to cover it all up. When you allow yourself spiritual candy, you come into a place of ease and complacency. The Bible says in Amos chapter 6, you don't need to turn there in verse 1, it says, Woe to you who are complacent in Zion. I need to hurry. When you're allowing yourself to have the spiritual candy leads to spiritual corruption. It eventually leads to spiritual corruption. We see this in three particular areas. A lack of devotion, a lack of desire, and a lack of depth. A lack of devotion. Spiritual decay occurs when you don't allow the inner man to be renewed daily. What does the Bible say? Paul writes and he says this. This is such a powerful verse of Scripture. You, you can just write down the verse and look at it later. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Why? Because day by day you take time to spend with the Lord. But many times it is the lack of devotion, not devotions, but the lack of devotion to the Lord that causes us to stay away from that time with Him. Listen, if you want to serve God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, you're going to want to be with Him. And if you don't want to be with Him, you have to ask yourself, do I really love God? Do I really, do I really want to serve the Lord or am I serving me? Is there too much spiritual candy in my candy bowl? Am I allowing too much into my life that ought not to be there? Might be in the form of a relationship. Somewhere along the way, some guy catches your eye, some lady catches your eye. Oh, oh, but are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Everybody's a Christian. I say that facetiously. Everybody who sees something they want serves God. They love God. Oh, yeah. Oh, and they can pull out all the spiritual jargon and the talk and all. Everything gets holy all of a sudden. But you have to be careful. You have to be ever so careful at what it is that you allow into your life. You see, that lack of devotion to the Lord should put you in a place where you pray about everything that you do, everything, especially when it comes to life-changing decisions about your mate and who it is that you might marry or, or individuals that you allow into your life as a close friend, that you pray and you say, God, is this friendship, is this relationship good for my growth spiritually. And if it's not, then maybe, just maybe, I need to just put a halt to it. I say, but pastor, how in the world can I win that person? First of all, if you're trying to win somebody because you're in love with them, you ain't going to win them. I'll tell you that right now. I've seen it over and over and over again in life. They, they come to an altar so they can get you to the altar. They're not, get, they're not going to the altar because they feel they've got to escape hell. They're getting to the altar so they feel that they, they got you. And that, brothers and sisters, is an absolute dangerous, dangerous situation to be in. We cannot allow the lack of devotion to allow ourselves to get into a situation or put ourselves in a situation 
where we allow things into our lives that should not be there. There is also the lack of desire. Listen to what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 4. Jesus is speaking through John to the churches. And he says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. All of a sudden there's a deadness in your heart. There's a dryness there. There is a lack of desire for your first love. He's talking about him. He's saying, look, I should be your first love. But instead, you've forsaken me. You've gone after other things. Chapter 3 and verse 1, to the angel in the church in Sardis, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. Now here it is. You've got a reputation of being alive, but what? You're dead. You've got a reputation of looking like you have spiritual vitality. You might even know how to talk. You might even know how to say, praise God, I'm doing great. God bless you, brother. God bless you, sister. All the spiritual talk in the world is not going to change how God views you. You see, the lack of desire for going after God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, it comes through and eventually it will prove itself. It will show itself. There is a lack of desire, that spiritual corruption. Something's happening on the inside. Something's happening deep down underneath. And that lack of desire begins to come through in just an apathy toward the things of God, toward reading Scripture, toward prayer, toward worship. Look, folks, we ought to be worshiping the Lord from the moment we walk into this place. We ought to be praising God. We ought to be thanking God. When it's time, when somebody stands in this pulpit and it's time, there shouldn't have to be any cheerleading go on. God help us if I become more of a cheerleader than anything else. If Julian from the drums has to, you know, get things pumped up. Why? Because you know what? He's done so much for us. He has done so much for his people. And yet we walk in with such a lack of desire to, to praise him and to serve him. Why do we do it? We do it because the Bible tells us to. No, we do it because we love him. He's done so much for us. We've got to praise him. We've got to call upon him. There is a lack not only of desire, but also a lack of depth. One theologian I think, I, I'm not sure if he's still alive or not. He lived well into his 90s. He once said this. He said that the church is a mile wide and an inch deep. And for many of us, that is exactly what describes our spiritual lives. Mile wide. Oh, we want to cover a, a wide range of topics. We just don't want to go too deep into, into something. And there is this lack of depth. You see, there are these hidden things that you've, that you've allowed into your life that are working against your spiritual growth. Listen to what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 15. The Bible says this about the church at Laodicea. Jesus speaks to them and says, I know your deeds. I know what's going on on the inside. And he says, you're neither cold or hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. I don't want lukewarm Christians. I don't need, we don't need lukewarm Christians, he's saying. We don't need individuals who are just somehow, you know, their, their spiritual depth is, is just about an inch deep. 
But you see, we allow these things and there's beginning this this process of corruption and decay is going on on the inside. So we can't go too deep into the things of God because we know that if we do, we know that if we begin to take the Bible at its word, we're going to have to really call upon the Lord. We're going to have to really get down to business and we're not going to be able to allow ourselves some of the spiritual candy that we've allowed ourselves. So there is a lack of depth. You see, when spiritual corruption begins to occur, it's not too long before you begin to see a spiritual crumbling. All, all the times I've gotten better about, you know, trying to brush my teeth and take care of my, my teeth at night. That seems to be the, the, the bad time for most anybody. But I never, all the times I brushed my teeth, any time I was chewing any other food, nothing happened up to that one point. And then all of a sudden, at that one, one moment of time, what was going on underneath came out. What was happening deep down on the inside, all of a sudden, it became completely and totally obvious. I couldn't see the deterioration. I had no idea what was happening. I had had x-rays on my teeth in past years, and no, nothing, nothing showed up. But somewhere along the way, that part of that tooth began to weaken. Simply because if you allow certain things into your mouth through the years, it's going to damage your teeth. And if you don't take care of them, that's what happens. It's the same way with our lives. It's a process. It's time. It goes on year after year after year. We allow ourselves something to the point where now the deterioration, it becomes impossible to hide. You see, one of the things that infects the church and plagues the church is this idea that somehow we can walk into a building on Sunday morning and somehow people look around and they just think better things about us because we're here, right? You're here. So immediately, say, Pastor, be careful what you say. I might stay home next Sunday. Well, then we'll really know. No, they they begin to think. But you see, part of the problem is, is we can hide under that. Things begin to to work in our hearts and there are things that are going on deep down on the inside. What does the Bible say? The Bible talks about a root of bitterness. I'm not talking about bitterness today. I want to get to the root. The root is the issue. What's happening underneath the ground? I, I, I grew up in potato country in northern Maine. When literally, in, when we were growing up, when I was a kid, they would let school out for three weeks in the fall after school had started so all the kids could go into the potato fields and pick potatoes. I did that for years. Sounds like a crazy foreign thing, but it was a way of life. It's what we did. Now, potatoes are, they grow under the ground. They're actually part of the root system. Potatoes, you don't see what's happening. All you see is the plant. That green plant, and, and, and I remember you know, driving through in the, in the spring or after a while, the, the, the plant, the potato plant would bloom. It would literally bud with these flowers, beautiful. But then the flowers would go away, and then over a process of time, the, the, the farmer would kill the plant, and then you would have these rows. And they would dig up the rows, and there you would see what was going on underneath. 
The amazing thing was, and some of the fun that we used to have in the potato field was, is on occasion you would get a potato that under the ground had rotted. And we grabbed that first rotten potato and threw it at the first girl we could find to let her know we liked her. Take that rotten potato and just, and it just, rotten potatoes smell so bad. It's wretched. But you see what's going on. And, but when the, the, the farmer digs up that row, those rows, and lays those potatoes out, then it becomes obvious what has happened underneath. Not every potato was good. Not every potato could be picked like those rotten potatoes. Somewhere along the way, something happened under the ground that caused that thing to rot. But now it was obvious. Listen to what the Bible says in Galatians chapter nine and, or 5 and verse 19. It says this, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Now, it goes on to list a bunch of things that in our modern society and in our, you know, in our culture, people think no big deal, sexual immorality. Well, for most of the culture today, that doesn't exist. Impurity and debauchery, this wild partying kind of thing. Idolatry and witchcraft, well, we're not into that. Well, it, those things have their roots in some other things. The idea of idolatry, the idea of witchcraft has its roots also in drug abuse. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. All of a sudden there is this deterioration that has occurred, that has gone on on the inside, and now it just comes exploding and blooming outward. It becomes obvious what's happening. There is this deterioration, but then there is also this distress. You begin to experience the pain associated with the deterioration. Go back, if you would, to your Bibles, into your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12, and then we're going to get to the spiritual cure in just a moment. You begin to experience some of the pain. I was fortunate with my tooth, I had no pain, literally. None. I was even shocked when he suggested that I would not need Novocaine in order to have my tooth drilled. But nonetheless, he was right. I didn't, I didn't have any pain. It was all right. But that is not the typical way for most dentists. And most of the time, when I had to go back and have really a lot of work done, then he had to pull out the needle and numb me up. But for many people, they begin to experience the pain of this spiritual deterioration, this, this corruption that's occurring on the inside. And now they have made so many bad choices that somewhere along the way, the enemy has gotten the best of them. And the enemy has lied to them and said, you are going to feel this the rest of your life. You need to know there is no way out of it. Listen to how David experienced this intense pain of his choice. What it was that he decided to do, go down to verse 15 of 2 Samuel 12. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had borne to David, and he became ill. 
David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted, went into his house, spent the nights lying on the ground. Here's David. His heart is aching because now this innocent child is reaping what it was that David had sown into his life. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused. He would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. David's servants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought while the child was still living, we spoke to David, but he would not listen to us. How can we tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his servants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. And David got up from the ground. After he had washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Oh, I love where David went. I love where David went. I love where he went. There was this, this spiritual crumbling that occurred, this, this, cor- this corruption and this corrosion that had occurred in his life, and now he is, he is feeling the pain of it. And he has reaped the, 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 the whirlwind. He sowed the wind and reaped the whirlwind in this situation. And not only did he have Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, killed, now, now their baby is dead. All the things, all the choices that he made, one after another, after another, after another. But the Bible lets us know, listen, no matter how low you go in that spiritual decay, don't ever listen to the lie of the enemy that says you're not going to find your way out. You will find your way out as long as you are willing to get up and get into the house of the Lord and worship him. Listen to what it says. We read it again. He went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went down to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. And I'm going to stop reading right there. But you need to know, brothers and sisters, there is a great pain that is associated with this spiritual corruption, this spiritual crumbling that occurs, this distress that you feel, yes, it comes, But even in spite of the fact that it can come, there is still a God in heaven who loves and forgives, who knows exactly what it is that you need and how to meet the need of your life. No matter what kind of decay has occurred in your heart, there is still a way out of that decay. There is still a spiritual cure. There is always a spiritual cure. I don't care how deep you've gone. I don't care how low you might feel. It doesn't matter what it is that you've done. You need to know that God has a way out of that mess. He's got a way out. Listen, yes, David experienced the pain. You say, I don't want to feel the pain. You know what? I'd rather feel the pain and be on my way to heaven than not feel the pain. There are three parts to this spiritual cure. First, your decision, your denial, and your defense. We see the decision in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5. The Bible says this. There are three parts of this. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do what you did at first. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Remember where you once were. Remember David? 
This is one of the lowest of the low points. This is probably the lowest point in David's life. We all think about David. The first thing that pops into our minds, David and Goliath killed the giant. And then David, being such a successful warrior, such a great king in Israel, a man after God's own heart, we think about that height. The Bible says, remember where you came from. Remember where you once were. There are a lot of people that say, well, I remember what it used to be, but I don't think it can ever be like that. You are listening to a lie from the pit of the enemy that has been sent to you to keep you under the condemnation that will bury you. But listen, you've got to pull out of that thing and say, Lord, I'm going to remember the height from which I've fallen, and now here's what else I'm going to do. I'm going to repent. Take time later to read Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is David's prayer of repentance. It is, it is David pouring his heart out to God. I don't know if David penned it at that moment we just read about when he went into the house of the Lord and he worshipped. He might have in the house of the Lord at that point just begun to write Psalm 51. That great prayer of repentance. The Bible lets us know that if we want to do anything and get anywhere with God, if we've allowed things into our lives that shouldn't be there, repentance is, I've got to turn away from the junk. I've got to turn away from the spiritual candy. I've got to turn away from everything that has been pulling me down. And I have got to begin to march in the direction of the cross. Remember, repent, and then return. In other words, the Bible says this, do the things you did at first. What were the things you did at first? When you were first serving Jesus and on fire for the Lord, what was one of the first things you began to do? You began to pick up your Bible. You began to read it. You began to pray. You began to call upon the Lord. You began to witness to people. You began to tell people about Jesus. You didn't know every answer that they had. And a lot of people you met, then maybe they discouraged you because they threw stuff at you that you couldn't answer. But nonetheless, you need to know that there is a way out of your situation. There is a way back. And you can get back if you will repent. If you will remember, you will return. And then also there is your denial. What do I mean by that? We don't, it's not that we sit here and deny how things were. No, instead we deny the enemy access to our souls. Listen to what, you don't need to turn there, but listen to what Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27 is. Paul writes and he says, and do not give the devil a foothold. Don't give him any kind of place in your life. You don't let him in the door. When he comes with his temptation and begins to tempt you to, to give in to the spiritual candy, put your hand in the candy bowl and just begin to take some. nobody's looking, you do not give him any kind of place. Shut the door on him. Close the door on him. And then when the master knocks at your door, you open the door to him. Your defense, what is it? It's this. Live by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 says this. So I say, live by the Spirit, and here's what will happen. You will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Live by the Spirit. You let the Holy Spirit direct your life. You let the Holy Spirit be in charge. You live by the Spirit of God and you will not give in to the flesh. You won't gratify the desires of your flesh. Instead, you will be obeying the voice of God. When God says, here is the way, I want you to walk in it, you will say, yes, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do. I'm going to surrender everything. 
Can we bow our heads? I want the musicians to come play the chorus. I surrender all. <laughs>